you have your Bibles, get them out. I'm going to read a quick verse in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And let me just kind of set this up. I, uh, I, I'm going I'm to bounce back and forth in speaking to you both as a church, as a corporate body, and then as individuals. As a corporate body, I very much believe that God is, uh, is calling you into a new season. So there is new territory that I believe God is asking you to step into, both in regards to practical things like a building. It is time for this church to be in a building and to have a permanent home, to be able to really do what God's called you to do, both locally and nationally. And then uh, um, as well, and really believing God uh, for the harvest, really believing God for different things, the impact that you're to have. I believe there's a new season that God's wanting, that is calling you into, but that new season requires a massive amount of courage to step into. I would say the same thing individually, that in each one of our lives, um, we are both called to be and called to do. So what we do comes out of who we are, but we, we are called to be someone and called to do something. But in order to be the person that God's called us to be, and in order to do the thing that God's called us to do, it takes a massive amount of courage. It takes courage as a body to step into a new season, to believe God for what's next. It also takes a lot of courage to really be and do what God's called us to do. And, and this is just how this works, that following, when you said yes to following Jesus, you said yes to living a life off the map, in uncharted territories, facing impossible things all the time. The Christian life is a life of impossibilities. It's just what it is. From when we wake up to when we go to bed, he is calling us to face impossible things, to embrace impossible things, and to go off the map and to go into areas we've never gone. This is the life of a church. This is the life of a believer. This is the life that we live. And, and because of that, it takes a massive, massive amount of courage. And there's a story that I love in 1 Samuel 14, which kind of illustrates this so well, in that the Israelites, Saul is king, Jonathan's the son, and the Israelites are encamped. They're at war with the Philistines. They're encamped against the Philistines, but they're not engaged with the Philistines. So we find this story with Jonathan's armor bearer that the, the, the Israelites are, are encamped on one hill. Then there's a three-mile valley between them, and the Philistines are encamped on another hill. Again, they're not engaged, they're just encamped against one another. But something's about to shift because God's about to stir the heart of Jonathan to no longer sit, but to actually engage what God had called him to do. So, so it's what he does. So I'm, I, just for the sake of time, I won't read the story, but uh, the, uh, it, Jonathan actually, something stirs in his heart one day and he grabs his armor bearer and he said, come on, let's go. We're gonna go take on the Philistines. I don't wanna sit any longer. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse six, he starts what I call is this three-mile walk from, from, from when the Lord awakens our heart to actually fully engaging this thing. There's a, there's a walk of engagement. And uh, it's this three-mile journey that we go on that takes courage. But listen to this, 1 Samuel 14, verse six. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many, or by few. So Zarmbera said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. There's something that happens, I would say, both in a corporate body and individually, where God begins to stir your heart 
and he begins to awaken you to really engage what he's called you to. That there becomes what I would say is a holy dissatisfaction that I no longer want to sit. I no longer want to be passive. I no longer want to stay where I am, but I want to get up and engage what God has called me to engage. To both be who God's called me to be, to do what God's called me to do, and to engage the season that is ahead of me, even though it's off the charts, even though it's in impossible territory. Something begins to awaken. And I, I would say that this is the life of a believer. We live in this tension. We live in this tension where I'm extremely satisfied with, 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 with what God is doing. I'm extremely satisfied with this moment. And yet at the same time, there's this dissatisfaction in me because I know that there's more and I want to embrace what God has for me fully. This is the story of Jonathan. Something just stirred within his heart one day and said, I don't want to sit here any long. I don't want to sit here. I want to get up and I want to engage the call of God on my life. I want to go after the things that God has spoken to me about and that he's stirred in my heart. So he grabs his arm bear and he goes on this journey. But, but this journey requires a massive amount of courage a massive amount of courage. Because, because in the midst of this journey, we begin to find that, that these are impossible things that we're called to. This is scarier than I ever imagined. It requires faith and trust out of my life. I realize the further I get in pursuing the dreams of God that he's placed in my heart, the more I realize how scary it really is to pursue God like this. And it takes courage to do this. This is one of the reasons why I would say that discouragement is one of the main things that the enemy comes after in your life. In fact, I would say this, if you're discouraged, be encouraged because, because this is something that we all deal with. The enemy, one of the main tactics of the enemy is he's trying to come and discourage you. Now, he may not, he may not do that in a crippling over, like your entire life is discouraged, but he begins to come at and target areas of your life that he's trying to discourage you in. It may be your future, maybe your family, maybe your finances, maybe your personal life, maybe your job, maybe your call and destiny, but he's coming, he's trying to target that. And the reason is, is because the enemy knows this, that, that if Sarah doesn't have courage, she cannot do what God's called her to do and she cannot become who God's called her to become. It takes courage for those things. And so he comes to discourage or disarm us of courage. He comes to disarm us of courage. And, and, and it's not, sometimes it's an onslaught, sometimes it's just he keeps coming and trying to pick away at this thing because I'm trying to take courage from you. That what separates you and what separates those from who simply remain sitting on the hill, not engaged on the call of God on their life, and those who are on the journey engaging the call of God in their life, what separates those two groups of people is not whether or not they face discouragement. The people on the journey are not those who have never faced discouragement. No, it's, it's that everyone faces discouragement, everyone. I, I am with, especially in ministry world, I'm with some of the most successful ministry people on the planet. Behind closed doors, discouragement is still something that is dealt with. So, so it's not whether we face discouragement or not. The issue and what will separate you is whether or not you know what to do when you face discouragement and whether you can get back up again and keep going and whether or not you actually allow yourself to stay in that mode. It's amazing how much we allow ourselves to stay discouraged. We have reasons why we're powerless, we're a victim or whatever else. There's all these reasons why or we make excuses for it, but someone's got to get inside of us that says, no, I cannot afford to live any length of time discouraged. 
Because if I live discouraged, I cannot be who God's called me to be and I cannot do what God's called me to do. And trust me on this, the world needs me to be who he's called me to be and to do what he's called me to do. My family needs me to be who he's called me to be, do what he's called me to do. My son needs me to be who God's called me to be. The world needs me to do what God's called me to do. So I can't live discouraged. I can't live discouraged for any length of time. And I can't give myself excuses for why I live discouraged. So the question is, is do I know how to do this? Because how do I know how to live in courage? There's a great story in Judges chapter 20, and you don't have to turn there, but, but um, the, the Israelites are about to go fight the Benjaminites. These are their brothers, right? These are their brothers. They're about to go to war with their brothers, which is already a discouraging situation. And uh, the Benjaminites had done some stuff that wasn't good. Israelites go and engage them. And listen to this. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah. And on that day, again, listen to these stories. These are real stories, right? These are not like fairy tale stories that have been made up. This really happened. And on that day, uh, the Benjaminites cut down to the ground 22 thousand men of the Israelites. These are brothers, fathers, cousins, nephews, uncles, 22,000 of them. And the people, so, so, so this is, listen to the response of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Question is not whether or not I face discouragement. The question is, do I know what to do when discouragement comes? Do I know how to get encouragement? And I do, do I know how to get up and form the battle line again? The people that, are, that, are, the people that change the world, the people that become who God's called them to become, are those that have faced discouragement but know how to encourage themselves and again form the battle line and go again. It is about outlasting. And the, the problem is, is that when you're discouraged, because right now we need dreamers in the body of Christ. We need risk takers in the body of Christ. We need people that are leaning in and moving forward and engaging. And when discouragement comes, discouragement that is that thing. Even when it's slight, discouragement as I'm leaning in, engaging the call of God in my life, when discouragement comes, it gets me to lean back. I just change my posture. I don't quite dream as much. I don't take risks. I'm not engaging at the level I was engaging because discouragement's there. And so, so we have to go, no, we can't afford to live discouraged. So, so the question is then, is how do I position my life to live encouraged? How do I position my life that when discouragement's coming around the corner, I know how to find encouragement and I have set my life up for encouragement to find me. And then I live encouraged. How do I do that? Two simple things this morning. One is this. We have to have a lifestyle and a default mode that we wait on the Lord. The Bible is clear on this issue that those who wait on the Lord are the ones that get courage. Listen to this, Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. There's something that happens when my default mode is, is I get into his presence. I come and I wait on him. And when I wait on him, two things happens. One is he speaks to me. The second thing is his presence comes and is with me. So when, when, when he speaks to me, his voice comes. And when his voice comes, it comes full of courage. 
Psalm 28, David says, he, he cries out to the Lord. He says, don't be silent to me, lest if you're silent to me, I'm like those who go down to the pit. He ends with saying, you heard the voice of my supplication. You, aren't, you weren't silent to me. And, and my heart trusted you and you helped and you're my shield. There's this concept that says, God, listen, I just need you to speak to me. And so when I'm discouraged and I get with you, I'm waiting for your voice to come because when your voice comes, it comes with courage. When your voice comes, it comes with hope. When your voice comes, it comes with, with uh, power and life. And so, so I wait on you and your presence comes. And when your presence comes, it fills me. See, discouragement cannot follow you into the presence of God. This is one of those things, we have a phrase that we got, uh, we have a phrase called keep one foot in water or retreat to water. And this comes out of, I had met a, um, there was a man I met in Las Vegas. His dad was a Navy SEAL in the Vietnam era. And he told me, he said, the Navy SEALs have a saying they say, which is always keep one foot in water. And it's coming from, and I'll read you a little passage in a second from a book, but it's coming from the concept that one of the things that separates Navy SEALs from other special operation forces is that Navy SEALs are most comfortable and confident in water. And that's what separates them. Listen to this. There's a book called David Bower called America's, from David Bower, by David Bower called America's Special Forces. But he says this, the acronym SEAL identifies the environments in which they operate, sea, air, land. Seals are first and foremost warriors who come from the sea and return to its silent darkness when their work is done. This distinction alone sets them apart from all other operations, special operation forces. Though one of nature's harshest environments, the water is a safe haven for seals. It's where they are most comfortable and confident. In other words, when, when, when a Navy SEAL is in a, is in a fight, and things aren't going well. They always know where water is. They always have one foot in water because they retreat to water. Because although it may be a level playing field here, when I get into water, it's no longer a level playing field. Because there are, there are things that can't follow me into water. The enemy may be able to attack me here, but when I'm in water, the enemy can't follow me into water. Because what David says in this book is that, that water is actually one of nature's harshest environments. Water is not a friendly environment unless you're a seal. And if you're a seal, because, of the, because this is what you've trained, this is where you're, a seal is a safe, uh, water is a safe haven for a Navy seal because it's where they feel most confident, it's where they feel most comfortable. So the same environment that is safe and comfortable for a seal is dangerous and uncomfortable for the enemy. So as believers, what we live, if you're going to live encouraged, you have to have a default mode that says, I retreat to water. I go find water. And because of the cross, I can find water anywhere. <laughs> I can be in my cubicle or in my car and I can access the presence of God. And so, so I, I go, and what happens is, is we, again, it's very interesting. In the presence of God, there are things that thrive and become alive, and in the presence of God, there are things that die. And, and so I get in the presence of God. Discouragement cannot follow me into the presence of God. We may have a loving playing field out there, but not in here. And when I get into his presence discouragement begins to die because in his presence, 
What begins to grow is courage. What begins to grow is life and hope and power. Powerlessness, hopelessness, discouragement, lies, bondage, all of those things in the presence of God begin to die and wither. And other things begin to... So we have to have that mode, man. Anytime that discouragement may be creeping around the corner, my, my default mode is I've got to get with God. And one of the things that happens is it's not only his voice that speaks to us, but he comes. And when he comes, I, well, I get a clearer picture of who he is as a father. I would say at the core of discouragement is the lie that God is, isn't with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the revelation, God with us. And, and, and at the core of discouragement, again, we don't articulate this as Christians because we're Christians and, and we, we, you know, we don't really say this stuff out loud. But I believe God is not with me in this moment. And maybe not my whole life, but in this area. So I, and, I, and I approach it like that. So I'm discouraged about my finances because I believe God isn't with me in my finances. I think he's abandoned me in my finances. Again, I don't say that, but this is kind of what's getting in there. In my marriage, I'm discouraged about my marriage because I believe God has maybe left me in my marriage, in my future, in whatever else. You go down the list of it. And all of a sudden I get into his presence and I have the revelation that he is a father who really will never leave me nor forsake me, who's full of love for me. This doesn't work in England because um, you guys don't have the sun. And uh, <laughs> wherever there's sun, uh, there's swimming pools. So there's things called swimming pools and they're outside and you, they're water and you swim in them because the sun's out and it's hot. And um, so in America, or at least in California, we, uh, there, there's these different types of dads. There's kind of two types of dads when it comes to teaching your kid how to swim. And one of the types of dads of how to teach your kid how to swim, and they're around them, they're like proud of this fact. They're like, I taught my kid to swim, I threw him in the deep end, and I walked inside, grab a cup of coffee, they'll figure it out. They'll learn how to swim. And, and, I, and I'm always like, ah, there's another option. Like they could not learn how to swim. Like you did, but there's this type of thing. And, and, and many people, you know, that's the type of dad they grew up with. The type of dad just threw them in and let them figure it out. This is what happens is many times we think that's what God's doing in our lives. Like, God, I've never been more overwhelmed. I've never been more overwhelmed. Like I'm trying to engage what you've called me to. And I am in the deep end right now and I'm having a little bit of a hard time swimming. And we think God just threw us in and like walked away. He didn't know. Like when I really get with him and see him, I realize, oh, God is with me. Am I in the deep end? Absolutely. But he's with me. He's swimming with me. He got in the pool with me. And he'll never leave me. I am not approaching my finances. I'm not approaching my call. I'm not approaching impossible situations without him. He's with me. And we tend to forget that. And when we forget that, discouragement starts creeping in. Man, the amount of times that I've been stressed, uh, it could be anything. Uh, um, I'm stressed about finances. I'm stressed about something. And I remember one time I was stressed about finances in the ministry and I got before God. And, um, and, I, and God, he, you know how the Lord sometimes in a really fatherly, gentle way rebukes you? He, he, the Lord said, 
And again, this is all my prayer time kind of deal. He said, Banning, look at me. I said, okay. He goes, do I look worried? He said, I said, you don't look worried. He said that I don't know why you're worried. He asked me, he said, do I look stressed to you? I said, you don't look stressed. He said, then I don't know why you're stressed. And it's that understanding that when I get with him, like, oh, okay, you're with me. We got to raise this amount of money for this. I'm pretty overwhelmed by that. But you're with me. When I look at you, you don't seem worried by it. <laughs> you don't seem stressed about that situation. I guess I don't need to be stressed either because you're with me. It's the understanding of the Father. But, but this, is, this is the default mode. I just got to get with him. And when I'm with him, I, oh, I begin to have this revelation. I begin to have this understanding. And those lies that somehow God has left me in the situation begin to break off. And courage begins to come. I'm telling you, the most courageous people on the planet are those that know God is with me. Like, God is with me. Why are you so courageous? I don't know, because God's with me. Why are you not worried? Because he's not worried. And if he's not worried, I don't know why I'm worried. You're all quiet in here. I'm gonna let. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna let the. I'm gonna let that English thing. Okay. So, um, second thing is this, and it's pretty simple: is community. Community is one of the biggest things that God uses to actually speak courage into your life. I could go through this biblically in many ways, but Romans, in Romans, Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, "I long to be with you that our mutual faith might encourage one another." There's something about when I get around Phil and Sarah that our 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 life encourages one another. And, 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 and in, in, when you're a Christian in the kingdom, isolated people are the most discouraged people. It's one of the reasons why the enemy tries to get you isolated. He tries to get you isolated because of offense or shame or pride or whatever, you know. He tries to get you isolated and, uh, because isolated people are discouraged people. They're, they're, they're massive targets for discouragement. It, it, you know, Elijah, he has this incredible victory on the mountain against the prophets of Baal, and then he's all over by himself having a pity party and discouraged because he thinks he's the only one. And God shows up to him, and you know what God actually challenges him on? God says, Elijah, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 of you. You're not it. But when I get isolated, I get discouraged, and when I get isolated, I have pity parties because pity parties are a one-person party. Right, I, I, I begin, when, when I'm a one-person community, that, that's when I begin to hold parties for myself and I get discouraged around stuff. Community is that thing that gets around you and just speaks courage to you, speaks life to you, challenges you in areas, challenges ways of thinking. And, and I would say this, in Scripture, you see a pattern that begins to emerge where anytime God calls somebody to do the impossible or to go engage something, and again, I will say this, I'm not just talking about engaging, praying for the sick, which takes courage. I think it takes more courage to become who God's called you to be than to do what God's called you to do. I think to really allow God to get in and work on you and shape you and challenge you, that is scarier. That's the scariest thing I've ever done. More than believing God for money, more than stepping out and praying for somebody, really letting him come in and work in my life. But, but anytime God calls people to impossible things, he always puts encouragers with them. This is the pattern you see. This is the story of Jonathan. Jonathan's like, you know, you know, Jonathan's like, man, I got something in my heart. I want to take on an army of the Philistines. This is impossible. 
And then he sticks an armor bearer with him. In fact, Jonathan didn't even go. He's, with the, he's kind of walking on the journey with the armor bearer. And the armor bearer says, do all that's in your heart. Here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over and go to these Philistines. The garrison is uncircumcised. So it, it's, it's, it's God sticks an armor bearer with Jonathan. God sticks Moses with Joshua. Deuteronomy 3.28, he gets with Moses and he says, go strengthen, encourage, command Joshua, because he's about to go into the, inherit, the promised land, the land of inheritance. So he actually says, Joshua, you got a pretty big task ahead of you. I'm gonna command Moses to come alongside you and just speak courage into you. It's Esther with Mordecai. Esther never stands before the king without Mordecai speaking courage into her. It's, it's Barnabas with Paul and it's Paul with Timothy. And, and this is that type of environment that when I get disconnected from community, I become a prime target for discouragement because one of the main ways God puts courage in my life is through people. My dad ran the San Francisco Marathon years ago. And uh, San Francisco, like England, is uh, typically very uh, cool city temperature-wise. And, and uh, so when, they came, when everybody came in to run the race, that day a, a heat wave hit. And people weren't ready for it. And they're passing out. And they're literally like laying underneath cars in shade trying to get out of the uh, heat. And, and uh, my dad ran the race. And... He described, though, that the, um, the organizers of the marathon had done something pretty brilliant in that they had organized volunteers. And there were some people who ran alongside and gave water, but they had actually organized volunteers who didn't give water. They, they organized them like a, I, I don't know what it was fully, but it was like the five-mile marker, 10-mile marker, 15, and then every mile after, 16, 17, 18, 19, until the end. And they had people that volunteered, and all they did was run alongside the runners and encourage them. That's it. So they'd run alongside the runners at the five-mile mark. Hey, you just started. You got a great pace going. Keep it up. Enjoy this marathon, you know. And then the 10-mile marker, 15. Hey, you're over halfway there. You got it. You're on the downhill slope now. Keep it up. And then 16, 17. Hey, I know you may want to quit right now, but push through. I know you're tired. I know it's mental, but you've got this. You've trained for it. And they just would come along, run alongside, and, and, and encourage them. When I heard that, I thought, that's what I want my life to be. That's what I want my life to be. I'm running my own race, but I tell you what, this, I think one of the main, main mandates of my life is just to come alongside people and put courage inside of them. That every time you hear me preach, that you would leave with more courage than you came in with. Every time you run into me in the hallway or sit in my office or come to my house or read a book or come to my church, that you would actually go away with more courage than you came with. Guys, I am convinced that especially in the Western church, that we do not need more teaching we just need courage to do what God's called us to do. Most of you in this room, you have enough teaching. What you need is courage to actually go be who God's called you to be and to go engage what God's called you to engage. And I want to be that guy. I want to come alongside and I want to create environments where that is. I think the church should be the most encouraging organization on the planet. I think Christians should be the most encouraging people on the planet. I think people should be overwhelmed by the amount of encouragement we give them. People need courage. They need courage. And the commitment that I would challenge you with to make is I, I, I want to be the most encouraging person I know and I want to be the most encouraging person of every room I walk into. I don't always succeed at that, but that's what's on my heart. And if I'm thinking of somebody, I'm going to text them because I think they need courage and I'm going to believe in them. This is a prophetic environment. Do you know when we say we want to be a prophetic people? 
We want to be a prophetic people. You know what prophetic is for? It's to edify. It's to equip. It's to encourage. It's to encourage. You want to be a prophetic people? Speak courage into people. Go speak the word of the Lord into their life. And, and not to, if you think about them, you know, when they walk in, like we're just speaking encourage to people. This is why the issue of discouragement is, is, is so costly because it's not just that Sarah can't do what she's called to do or can't be who she's called to be apart from courage, but the people around Sarah can't be who God's called them to be and can't do what God's called them to do apart from her putting courage in them. I need the courage of the person sitting next to me. So if you're discouraged, you can't actually give me courage. You can't give me what you don't have. So you being discouraged actually affects the people around you as well, not just yourself. So creating an environment where everybody goes, no, 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 look, I know how to go wait on the Lord. I get with him until courage comes. I don't allow myself, I don't give myself excuses for living any length of time discouraged about any area. And if there's some area of my life that's discouraged, it's simply because I'm believing a lie about it and I'm gonna get with God until he speaks to me. I'm gonna get with God until his presence comes and then I'm gonna go get around people and we're gonna have, we're just gonna speak courage into each other. 